Thanks for checking out this week's podcast from Center Street Church. We pray it blesses, encourages, and inspires you. Rahab is referred to as the harlot three different times in the Bible. The Hebrew word used to describe her literally means a woman, a prostitute. Rahab lived in Jericho in a house by the city walls. While the Hebrews were encamped in the Jordan Valley, opposite of Jericho, getting ready to attack, they sent spies to investigate the military strength of Jericho. Rahab took the spies in, and when soldiers came looking for them, she hid them, risking her own life and the lives of her family. When the Hebrews did attack the city, Rahab had negotiated to have her whole family spared. She begins to follow God and is even listed in the genealogy of Jesus. Well, greetings to all of you on this uh, lovely August long weekend. I'm back again. <laughs> Thank you. The last time I told you that I'm the pastor of Long Weekend Ministries, you thought it was a joke. <laughs> we are at the halfway mark in our summer sermon series, Living in God's Story. G.K. Chesterton once said, I had always felt life first as a story. And if there is a story, there is a storyteller. God has a single, all-encompassing story, and he invites us to be characters. When we accept God's invitation, we become part of his story. God makes a personal covenant with us, and he assigns us kingdom responsibilities. From the characters of the Bible to present-day Christians, including you and me, our stories are intrinsically linked to the large story of God. Without a doubt, every single Christian has a significant role to play in God's story. As a little boy, I remember doing this exercise in school called the odd one out. You were given a set of words that were grouped together and you had to underline the one word that did not have any similarity with the rest of the words. So all the words in the list had something in common except for one word. You've done that exercise, right? Now look at the characters we have picked for the sermon series. It might appear that the next pick is odd, that it does not belong in the series. This character stands out distinctly, and you might even ask the question, how did she make the cut? Let me set the stage before we go into the details of this character. Until now in this series, we've reflected on the life of Abraham, Moses, and Joseph. And then we have Samuel, David, and Jesus to follow. They are big names, and they played significant role in God's story. But when we look at those names, you and I may be tempted to say, well, of course God would use them to do great things in his story. They are the heroes of faith. But I, I have a dark past. 
I have deep hurts. I've done some terrible things and some terrible things have been done to me. Do I still qualify to be in God's story? Can God still use someone like me to make a difference in his kingdom? Well, if truth be known, many of us have asked those questions and some of you still wrestle with it. Let me tell you, the characters of the Bible whom God used significantly were not squeaky clean characters. They were not the super spiritual elites. They were just down-to-earth, ordinary people like most of us. And yet God did some amazing things through their life. So it does not matter who we were in the past or how horrid our past was before we came to faith in Christ. If we are fully surrendered to God, then God wants us to play an important role in his story. When we yield our lives to Jesus Christ, we give our everything to him, including our past. And there is nothing that has happened in our past that God cannot redeem. The Life Recovery Bible, in an article titled Redeeming the Past, says, we hand over to God every moment of disgrace, every tear we've ever cried, every word we wish we could take back, all the broken promises, all the dreams that died, the loneliness, the dashed hopes, the broken relationships, our successes and failures, all of our yesterdays and the scars they've left in our life. That to me is the blessing of being a follower of Jesus Christ. You don't have to impress God. You don't have to put on a show, but you come to God just as you are. He receives you just as you are, but he doesn't leave you just as you are. He redeems your past and he gives you a glorious future. And the story of Rahab, a Canaanite prostitute, powerfully illustrates this truth. We're going to read from Joshua chapter 2, verses 1 to 21. It's a long reading, but I believe the public reading of Scripture has a, a very important role in our worship service. So would you please stand with me as we read from Joshua chapter 2, verses 1 to 21. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go, look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab, bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the women had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flags she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the forts of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, 
I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So she led them down by a rope through the window, for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. She said to them, Go to the hills so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there three days until they return, and then go on your way. Now the men had said to her, This oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless when we enter the land you have tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you have brought your father and mother, your brothers and all your family into your house, if any of them go outside your house into the street, their blood will be on their own heads. We will not be responsible. As for those who are in the house with you, their blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on them. But if you tell what we are doing, we will be released from the oath you made us swear. Agreed, she replied. Let it be as you say. So she sent them away and they departed and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. Can we ask God to speak to us right now? Father, we thank you for the powerful work of transformation that was effected in Rahab. And we thank you today that that power has not changed centuries later. As we come to you, we know that you are able to redeem our past that nothing can hold us in bondage to experiencing the life that you have in mind for us. So I pray today, Lord Jesus, that you will be so present in our service, that you will speak to us by the power of your spirit, that every one of us will hear your voice and our lives will be transformed as a result of that. So we commit this time into your hands. Speak to us in a way you alone can. For we ask this in the powerful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, you may be seated. One of the most difficult documentary films I've ever watched, and I'm not exaggerating this, it was so difficult to get through it, it's called The Day My God Died. You need to be strong on the inside in order to watch a movie like that. The documentary is about the 2,500 women and children around the world that are sold into sexual slavery on a daily basis. And this video gave a glimpse of the horror and dismay these women and children go through every single day of their life. With hidden cameras, they showed the brothels in Mumbai, India. 
the red light district in the slums, which have the largest concentration of sex workers in the world, over 200,000 women. And they interviewed some of these young girls as they shared heartbreaking stories of how they got into the sex racket. The girls called the day they were kidnapped from their villages and forced to enter into prostitution as the day their God died. It was also the day part of them died as well. We label prostitutes as sleazy characters with loose morals who have chosen this depraved lifestyle in order to keep up with their addictions. But do we see them as victims of injustice? For that's what a majority of them are. For most of them, it was not their choice in the first place to become a prostitute. And statistically, if given a choice, 90% of them want to get out of the profession immediately. If the reason they are in that profession is because they cannot get out, then prostitution is not a freely made choice. My guess is that's probably Rahab's story. How did she end up as a prostitute? I don't think it was because that's her long-term dream or preferred vocation or even out of her own free will. Maybe she was a widow. Maybe her family was dirt poor and her siblings were dying of starvation. If your loved ones are dying, I tell you, you will do anything, anything to save their life. Rahab might have been forced into a profession that dehumanizes women. For that's the only way she could take care of her family. She lived on the city walls at the very entry point of the city of Jericho, the red light district, so she could offer sexual favors for the travelers who entered into the city. Rahab lived in an evil society, a society that had accumulated its sins and God was all set to destroy them. The nation of Israel was about to enter the promised land and they would be the instruments in God's hand to destroy the sinful Canaanite nations. Forty years earlier, Moses had sent 12 spies into this very land and they came back with a negative report. They looked at the people of the land and they said, they look like giants and we are like grasshoppers in their sight. All of Israel believed that negative report and that entire generation perished because of their disobedience. Now Joshua, who is part of the newer generation, had taken over the leadership of Israel and he was going to lead the people into the land of Canaan, the promised land. Their first point of entry was the city of Jericho. And Joshua sent two spies into Jericho to check out the land. These two spies, who were young men, ended up in Rahab's house. They were not there to use her professional service. The idea behind going into Rahab's house was the presence of strange men in the house of a prostitute would not draw much attention. But the king of Jericho received word that some Israelite men had come spying their city. So the king sent word 
for Rahab to hand over the spice. This was not a request, but an order from the king. What did Rahab do? Look at verses 4 to 7. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had taken them to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flags she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the forts of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. So Rahab hid those two spies in her rooftop under a pile of flax. I'm sure the spies had their hearts in their mouth. For their lives were in the hands of a, a Canaanite prostitute. You know, the easiest thing for Rahab to do was to hand them over to the king's men. After all, why does she have to save the lives of the spies? They were there to attack her own people. But Rahab took a huge risk on behalf of the Israelite spies. We will find out why she did this a little later. But Rahab puts her own life on the line and she lied to the king's men who came searching for the spies. Rahab told them, Yes, there were two men who came to visit me. I had no idea where they had come from. They used my services and they left the town in this direction. I don't know where they've gone. Maybe you can catch up with them. So she deceived the king's men and sent them in a completely different direction. The Bible hails Rahab for this great act of faith and paints her in a very positive light. Now, this leaves us with a serious ethical question. Can lying be an acceptable course of action for Christians? Can we follow situational ethics? Is there flexibility in the applying of moral laws according to our circumstances? Well, these are challenging questions. But let me tell you, at the outset, the Bible condemns all forms of lying. Lying cannot be justified in light of the Bible. The Bible never condones Rahab's lies. She's praised for her faith in God and not for her lying. The Bible calls Rahab a prostitute, but that is not an endorsement of prostitution. So we have to be careful before we cite this incident to support situational ethics. Dr. Charles Betters in his book, Treasures of Faith, says, we believe that Rahab's lies, like all lies, were offensive to God since God is truth. God did not need for Rahab to lie in order to protect the spice. But as he often does, he used the faith and even the sin of this woman to accomplish his own good purposes. And moreover, you have to know that Rahab was not matured in her faith. She had just trusted in the God of Israel. She had no law. She wasn't aware of the commandments. And with the limited knowledge that Rahab had, she did what was best in her eyes. So this was just on a side note, a slight deviation, but I thought it was important to address it. Now let us look at Rahab's confession of faith in the God of Israel, for that's the highlight of our narrative. Look at verses 8 to 11. 
Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. Rahab's confession of faith is stunning. She's not just using a generic name for God, but she's calling God by his personal name, Yahweh. Whenever you see in your English Bible the word L-O-R-D in capital, that's Yahweh. How did Rahab hear about the God of Israel? My guess is she heard about the God of Israel from the travelers who came to her brothel. They told her stories of the people group called Israel and their powerful God. The parting of the Red Sea and the deliverance of Israel from Egypt was widely talked about. This was such a spectacular event that it served as a testimony for all the nations surrounding Israel. So as Rahab listened to these stories of this great God named Yahweh, something stirred inside her heart. We see faith emerging. Her worship of false gods had left Rahab feeling empty. The constant abuse she received from her profession made her broken. She was treated as a commodity and men used her. Rahab was wounded. Day in and day out she witnessed the evil in Jericho and she was exasperated. When you're empty, broken, wounded, and exasperated, all of a sudden, you're ready for the things of God. And Rahab heard of a God who loved his people so much that he delivered them from slavery in Egypt, even from the iron hand of Pharaoh. And this God, whose name was Yahweh, fought on behalf of his people and defeated strong kings. And Rahab pondered from the deep recesses of her heart. Could Yahweh, this great and awesome God, save me from my slavery? Can he break my shackles and set me free from my shame? Rahab's own heart had longed for this assurance that her life was in the hand of a God who loved her and wants the best for her life. And the prostitute's heart was fertile and ready to receive the God of Israel as her Lord and King. And with her limited knowledge, Rahab put her faith in Yahweh. In verse 11, we see the most dramatic statement, her profound understanding of the nature of God. The Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. What Rahab is saying here is, Yahweh, he is God of heaven and earth. He is transcendent and he is eminent. He rules from on high and he reigns in our heart. There is no God like Yahweh. 
That's good, solid Christian theology coming from a Canaanite prostitute. Well, granted, what we see here is not a fully formed faith, but it was enough to touch the heart of God. The Bible says God reveals himself to a sincere seeker. And God saw that Rahab was seeking and searching And now it was time for a revelation. Philip Yancey, in his book, What Good is God?, tells of a time when he was invited to speak at a conference on ministry to women in prostitution. It was attended by women from all around the world, all of them former prostitutes. Many had been just recently rescued from the profession. Yancey had the opportunity to interact with them and ask them questions. And this was the question that he presented to the former prostitutes. Did you know that Jesus referred to your profession? Let me read to you what he said. I tell you the truth, tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. He was speaking to the religious authorities of his day. Yancey looked at the former prostitutes and he asked them, what do you think Jesus meant? Why did Jesus single out your profession? There was absolute silence in the room until a young woman from Eastern Europe spoke up. This is what she said. Everyone has someone to look down on, not us. We are at the low. Our families are ashamed of us. No mother looks at a little girl and says, honey, when you grow up, I want you to be a good prostitute. In most places, we are breaking the laws. People call us names, war, slut, hooker, harlot. We are at the bottom. And sometimes when you are at the bottom, you cry for help. So when Jesus comes, we respond. Maybe that's what Jesus meant. God has a special place in his heart for those who are in the lowest rung of the ladder. He sees their pain, he identifies with them, and he gives them his hand of rescue. C.S. Lewis once said, Prostitutes are in no danger of finding their present life so satisfactory that they cannot turn to God. The proud and the self-righteous are in that danger. No prostitute would ever find her life to be satisfying. They live hell here on earth. And when they hear this gentle, reassuring voice of Jesus, they are open to him. Surely, Rahab was looking for a relief from this horrible profession. And that relief came at her doorstep. Rahab made a deal with the spice. Look at verses 12 and 13. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. 
Rahab was not just happy with her salvation. She was seeking for the salvation of her whole family. The spies promised to save her life and the life of her family members. All Rahab had to do was to tie a scarlet rope on her window and make sure that all her family members stayed inside her house while the rest of the city will be ransacked Rahab and her household will be left untouched. Now, does that sound similar to the Passover where God told the Israelites to apply the blood of the lamb on their doorposts? All of Egypt will face the judgment of God, but the people of Israel covered under the blood of the lamb will be spared from judgment. The scarlet-colored rope is a type of the blood of Christ that saves us from our sins. Rahab had to hang that cord on her window rope, signifying that she was seeking refuge under the God of Israel, Yahweh. Now we come to Joshua chapter 6. Joshua and his men circle around the walls of Jericho for seven days. And the walls of Jericho came tumbling down. They attacked the city and destroyed everything. All of Jericho was wiped out except for Rahab and her family protected by the scarlet cord on her window. Look at Joshua chapter 6, verses 16 and 17. The seventh time around, when the priest sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. The city and all that is in it are to be devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall be spared because she hid the spies we sent. Joshua honored the promise of the spies and the promise that they had made with Rahab, the pledge that they had given to her, Joshua was honoring it. So he commands his army, destroy everything that you see in Jericho except for Rahab and her household. And here comes the important point in our story. Look carefully at verses 20 to 23 in Joshua 6. When the trumpet sounded, the army shouted, and at the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed, so everyone charged straight in, and they took the city. They devoted the city to the Lord and destroyed with the sword every living thing in it, men and women, young and old, cattle, sheep, and donkeys. Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the land, go into the prostitute's house and bring her out and all who belong to her in accordance with your oath to her. So the young men who had done the spying went in and brought out Rahab, her father and mother, her brothers and sisters, and all who belonged to her. They brought out her entire family and put them in a place outside the camp of Israel. As the walls of Jericho collapsed, there's total mayhem everywhere. Slaughter, destruction, and bloodshed. And in the midst of all of this chaos, the two spies go over to Rahab's house in order to keep their promise. They rescued her and all of her family. And they didn't know what to do with them, so they placed them 
outside of the camp of Israel. Here's my point. The spies had kept their promise to Rahab, saved her and her family from death. The deal is over. The oath has been kept. They left her outside the camp of Israel because she did not belong to any Israelite tribes. She was not part of the covenantal community. She was an outsider. So they must have told Rahab, it's time to part ways. You helped us. We've helped you. We've exchanged favors. Now we are taking over the land. We are going to live here in this place. You don't belong to us. You don't belong to any of our tribes. So Rahab, maybe you have to find some place elsewhere to live. God bless you. Goodbye. But that's not how the story ends, does it? Look at verse 25. But Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute with her family and all who belonged to her because she hid the men Joshua had sent as spies to Jericho and she lives among the Israelites to this day. Did you notice that? The book of Joshua was written during Rahab's lifetime and Rahab was still in Israel at that time. So that means someone made the decision to let Rahab and her family stay in Israel and become one among them. That's radical. That's profound stuff. Someone had the courage to say, we are not going to say goodbye to Rahab. She risked her life for our men. She's not an outsider anymore. She is an insider. She's very much part of us. We will make her as one among our family. I love this, for this has great application for the church. The church is very good at preaching the gospel to the Rahabs. The broken and the marginalized, the sinners and undesirables are attracted to this great message of hope. A number of them come to faith in Jesus. Their lives are changed. And what do we say to them? We say to them, you are saved, praise the Lord. We're so happy for you. We'll see you in heaven. God bless. Goodbye. We like it when the Rahabs get saved but we don't want them to be part of our spiritual family. We make them outsiders. Because we like our middle-class church that looks like us, talks like us, thinks like us, but is there room for Rahabs in our churches? Have your small groups entertained the thought of taking in a Rahab? The Rahabs of the world want to start their new life in Christ, but they still have their rough edges. They don't look like church-going people, but can they find our churches and fellowships to be safe and welcoming? God believes in the Rahabs of our world. He has redeemed them, and he has a great future in mind for them. They have a new hope, a new identity, and a significant role in God's story. God believes in the Rahabs of the world, and the church needs to believe in them as well.
not far from our central campus. There's an organization called Fresh Start. It's a residential alcohol and drug addiction treatment center for men. They follow the 12-step program, and step five is when these men have to meet with the religious clergy and share their life story, all the wrongs that they have done and all the wrongs that have been done to them. As pastors of Center Street Church, we have made ourselves available for these men to do their step five. After meeting with a few of them, I was amazed to see how identical their stories were. The names were different, but the stories were the same. It starts with a broken home and parents themselves facing addiction. There's neglect and childhood abuse, and it inevitably leads them in the wrong path. And what unfolds next is a sad, sad story of pain, poor choices, heartbreak, and misery. And then comes my favorite moment. When they are done sharing their story, we get to look at them in the eye and share a different story. The story of God's love and unconditional acceptance. And you can see the tears streaming. Tough-looking men covered with tattoos just melt down in front of your eyes. Many of them come now to our church. And when they come here, they are not outsiders. They are part of our spiritual family. Amen. Now, I'll tell you why this decision to let Rahab stay in Israel was so significant. We don't hear anything about Rahab after Joshua chapter 6 in the rest of the Old Testament. There's no mention of her name. We have no idea about her whereabouts. Then you come to the New Testament and you open the Gospel of Matthew. And we find a list of names that we love to read in the Bible, the genealogies. Let's look at Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 to 6. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Aminadab. Aminadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. If you don't pay careful attention, you may just gloss over this list. But whose name did you find there? Rahab. Who is this salmon that married Rahab? That's a weird name for a guy, by the way, Salmon. But the guy is far from weird. 
we can infer from the book of Numbers that Simon's dad, Nashon, was appointed the leader of the tribe of Judah. So Simon came from a well-known, influential family of leaders. How did he ever get to meet Rahab and marry her, a former Amorite prostitute? I wish we had an account of this riveting love story. Oh, it must be the mother of all love stories, better than Romeo and Juliet or Pride and Prejudice. You can make a blockbuster Hollywood movie out of this. An influential, renowned, affluent, well-to-do leader in Judah falls in love with a former prostitute and pledges his commitment to her in marriage. Do you see how God blessed Rahab? It does not matter what your past is. When you come to faith in Christ, the favor of God is upon you. The blessings of God overtakes you. When you seek him about everything, all things will be added to you. God doesn't just bless you. He makes you a blessing. Salmon and Rahab get married and they have a son named Boaz who will go on to marry another non-Israelite woman, Ruth. Boaz and Ruth have a son named Obed who in turn had a son named Jesse who in turn had a son, the King David. And it is through David's lineage that the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ would enter into this world. So Rahab, the former Canaanite prostitute who came to faith in Yahweh and who saved the lives of the two spies was not just rescued from death, but she was given a place to stay in Israel and become one among them. And that decision made all the difference. For Rahab married well into an influential family in Judah that was handpicked by God to bring the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, into our world. Don't you love your Bible? Is there any religious book in this world that makes a shero of a prostitute? Go find one. And our story doesn't end there. In James chapter 2, James uses the story of Rahab as an example of faith demonstrated through works. James puts Rahab's story on par with Abraham offering Isaac as a sacrifice. And he uses both these stories to make his point. Look at James chapter 2, 25 to 26. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Faith without deeds is dead. It's a significant theological truth. And whose story illustrates this truth? Rahab's. Through Rahab's story, we see a faith that is not just intellectual, but a faith that is demonstrated in our choices. And then we come to Hebrews chapter 11. 
that great chapter in the Bible that talks about the cloud of witnesses that surround us. If the Christian life is a race, then these names in Hebrews chapter 11 are the faith hall of fame. They are the celebrities, the ones who perform so well that they are presented as examples for us. And yes, there is Abraham, Jacob, Moses, Gideon, Samson, Samuel, David. All those big names, the expected names, the celebrated names, the summa cum laudes, they all are there. And then we come to Hebrews 11, 30 to 31. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched around them for seven days. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. Not only is Rahab a shero who's part of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, she's an example for all of us in the Christian race, a great witness cloud. We look at her and draw inspiration from her life. If you really understand Rahab's story, I tell you it will greatly inspire your Christian journey. How many times we disqualify ourselves over what we have done in the past? The ghost of the past doesn't seem to leave some of us. You're so hard on yourself, not able to forgive yourself for your actions. And deep inside, you're battling those regrets, wondering if you can ever make up for your past. Let me ask you, why do you think almost every time Rahab's name is mentioned in the Bible, the word harlot is tagged alongside? Rahab has become a synonym for the word harlot. That's why even though she's hailed as an example of faith, I've never met a Rahab. There are so many Sarahs, Rachels, Ruths, Esthers, Marys. But I don't know of a single Rahab. We don't give that name to anyone because Rahab is equal to a harlot. But the reason Rahab's name is tied with her profession is to serve as a reminder that if former prostitutes can play a big role in God's story, then any one of us can play a big role in God's story. So don't disqualify yourself because of your past. The truth is, we all, every one of us, we are Rahabs. We were outside of the covenantal community, born as Gentiles. We were the uncircumcised. We lacked the physical sign of membership into God's family. We were prostitutes who betrayed God's love and we worshipped the false idols of the world. But God, in his mercy, by a scarlet rope, by the blood of Jesus, redeemed us from a disaster. And he did not allow us to be outsiders. He made us as part of the family. And he did not just include us in the family. He made us co-heirs with Christ. We are part of his royal lineage. And Ephesians chapter 2, 11 to 13 says, 
Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. What a powerful demonstration of God's grace. For when we see Rahab, a woman with a dark and ugly past, redeemed and brought into the royal lineage, we see the gospel and we see ourselves and we come to this conclusion that all of us have a significant role to play in God's story. Don't allow the enemy to deceive you by saying, God cannot use you anymore because of what you've done. That's a lie. If Jesus can use any of us, it's not because of who we are or what we have done. It's only because of his grace. Take heart, for there are no undesirables in Christ's kingdom. I want to close with this. I'm not sure who wrote this, but this is good stuff and a little bit funny. The next time you feel like God can't use you, just remember, Noah was a drunk. Abraham was too old. Isaac was a daydreamer. Jacob was a liar. Leah was ugly. Joseph was abused. Moses had a stuttering problem. Gideon was afraid. Samson had long hair and was a womanizer. Rahab was a prostitute. Jeremiah was too young. David had an affair and was a murderer. Elijah was suicidal. Isaiah preached naked. Jonah ran from God. Naomi was a widow. Job went bankrupt. Peter denied Christ three times. The disciples fell asleep while praying. Martha worried about everything. Mary Magdalene was promiscuous. The Samaritan woman was divorced more than once. Zacchaeus was too small. Paul was too religious. Timothy had an ulcer. And Lazarus was dead. <laughs> Isn't that inspiring? There are no excuses. Because you are not the message. You are just the messenger. Our Bible heroes are not perfect, far from perfect. But they align themselves with God's perfect story. So the question for us this morning is, whose story are we aligned with? As we come to a close, I want us to reflect on what you've heard in fact, I'm going to ask us to stand right now. There's some of you here today, you have disqualified yourself because of what you've done in the past. You've concluded that God is never going to use you because you have lost that privilege. Today, God wants to reverse that. He wants you to go home free 
from the bondage of your past. He wants you to go home believing that he has a significant role for you with a name, your name, written on it. You know, I want you to close your eyes even right now. I know the Holy Spirit is here and he's speaking to some of you. Jesus is saying right now, you are my daughter. You are my son. I shed my blood for you because you are precious to me. I want you. I want to use you in my story. Friend, if you're hearing that voice, would you respond to God right now and say, God, I'm all in. Take away the things of the past. Take away those bondages. I want to experience freedom today. The silence of this moment, cry out to God from your hearts. I'll close us in prayer. Father, we thank you for this great and awesome truth of your grace. Because of your grace, none of us are disqualified as we come to you with a broken and repentant heart. Thank you that you never turn us away. And I pray right now, let your Holy Spirit move powerfully in our midst and touch every one of us who have a bondage from the past that is keeping us from experiencing the full life in Jesus Christ. Let the chains be broken, Lord. Let the bondages be removed and that we will come to experience you in a fuller and deeper way as we understand how much you love us and how much you want to use us in your story. We thank you that the Rahabs of the world have hope today because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We thank you there's not a single person here who's outside of the hope that we have in Christ. You are able to reach out to everyone who calls on your name. We thank you for that precious promise. Use us, Lord, in your story. There is no greater privilege than that. Let our lives be a reflection of your grace that we will be trophies of grace and the world around us will see a witness of how loving and gracious you are as they look at our lives. And even as we leave this place, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of our heavenly Father and the sweet unfailing fellowship of the Holy Spirit may rest and abide with each and every one of us both now and forevermore. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this message has impacted you. We'd like to challenge you to take it one step further and get connected. For any questions or prayer, please visit our website at cschurch.ca. You can also like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter.